0: Our second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, which we have been reading through for these last few weeks. This week we'll be reading Luke chapter 14, verse 1, and verses 7 through 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host, and the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited... Go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Years ago, a church I served came up with an idea for an evening of fellowship called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. The idea was that a family in the church would agree to host a meal in their home for a certain number of people but they would not know who was coming for dinner until their guests showed up at the door. Now, that may sound a little risky, but this was a very small church, and pretty much everyone knew everyone. So even though the people in charge worked hard to put together parties of people who maybe didn't know each other that well, the reality was it was a pretty low-risk evening There were no total strangers showing up on anyone's doorstep expecting to be fed. In this episode we just heard from the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is invited to a dinner party by one of the religious leaders, it appears that although he is no stranger to them, they are still trying to figure out who he is and what he's all about which is why they are watching him so closely. And Jesus does not disappoint. Right after he sits down at the table for dinner, he starts chastising everyone there for their focus on honor and status. When you throw a party, he tells them, don't just invite your friends and relatives and rich people, invite the poor, the blind, and the crippled people you don't know, people you usually avoid, people who can't ever return the favor. With these words, Jesus is offering a radical critique of the social and political practices of that time and place. The ancient Near East was a culture predicated on honor and shame which meant that every move people made was calculated to increase their honor and decrease their shame. This was especially true about dinner parties. Who got invited and who got to sit where? These were big deals. And these details of a gathering dictated the next guest list and the next seating chart at the next party. Everything was quid pro quo and pay to play. Every interaction was calculated to provide maximum reputational benefit. With these recommendations, Jesus is suggesting that instead of playing by the usual rules of privilege and status and honor, his dinner companions should try something unusual, even radical. They should go outside the circle of influence and patronage by inviting people who can never return the favor, who could never, at least by cultural standards, adequately express their gratitude. In her recent book, Gratitude, Diana Butler Bass explains how ancient Rome was structured politically like a pyramid, with the emperor at the very top. Everything good in that culture flowed down from the emperor. And by the time it reached the masses at the bottom, there wasn't much left. Gifts, mostly in the form of economic benefits, flowed down, and gratitude, both in the form of appreciation and loyalty, but more often as financial debts, like taxes, flowed up the pyramid. Bass observes that the structures of the ancient Roman Empire still haunt Western societies today, especially in relation to gratitude. Although democracy was initially meant to offer a fair, more equitable alternative to systems of patronage and feudalism, as commercial interests overtook democratic ideals, gratitude mutated. Just think about how our politicians are beholden to lobbyists and political action committees that give them the money they need to run their campaigns. Corporations and PACs give politicians money, and the politicians become much more likely to vote for the policies those groups want. This is one of the reasons the NRA has been so successful in preventing meaningful gun control legislation, despite the fact that in every poll the majority of Americans favor some kind of reform. Now, although we may not always think about it this way, that exchange of money for taking a particular political position or voting a certain way is actually a form of gratitude. Our country's founders may have hoped to create a society that operated differently, but sin is persistent. And it seems we have ended up in many ways with another pyramid culture in which power and money are concentrated at the very top. Which is why this advice Jesus gives is still relevant to this day. With these words to his dinner companions and to us, Jesus is suggesting a radical restructuring of the political and social order by calling us to do more than just exchange favors with those who can offer us something of equal or greater value. Jesus tells us to reach out to those we think could never return the favor. When we do, he suggests, we imitate God, who in every moment extends the benefit of totally undeserved mercy and love to each one of us. This is an act of compassion we could never repay, except by paying it forward. Jarrett Krasotska is a children's author and illustrator. After he published his first book, he went back to give a talk at his elementary school. And while he was there, he ran into someone he instantly recognized, and who instantly recognized him. It wasn't the principal or a former beloved teacher. It was Jeannie, the lunch lady. As he and Jeannie talked and caught up, she mentioned her grandkids. That blew my mind, Jarrett later said. My lunch lady had grandkids, and therefore kids And therefore, she went home at the end of the day. I thought she lived in the cafeteria with the serving spoons. I had never thought about that before. This conversation was the inspiration for Jarrett's Lunch Lady graphic novel series about lunch ladies who use fish stick nunchucks to fight evil cyborg substitutes, a school bus monster, and mutant athletes. At the end of every book, they capture the bad guy in a hairnet and proclaim, justice is served. Jarrett had no idea how much kids would love this series, but even more how it would transform the relationship between kids and lunchroom workers in schools across the country. Again and again, he heard the same thing from lunch ladies. First, they told him, that they weren't used to being treated kindly in popular culture. Second, they said, thank you. Thank you for making a superhero in our likeness. This feedback inspired Jarrett to create School Lunch Hero Day, when kids can express gratitude for their school lunch staff. And on this day, incredible stories have been celebrated. The lunch lady in California who keeps an eye on the kids as they come through the line and then goes and tells the school counselor if she sees something amiss. The lunch ladies in Kentucky who realized that 67% of their students went without food in the summer, and so they retrofitted a school bus to create a mobile feeding unit which now feeds 500 kids a day when school is out of session. The other thing that happened is that when given the chance to thank their lunch staff, kids did so in amazingly creative ways. With hamburger cards made out of construction paper, flowers in milk carton vases, paper pizzas on which every kid signed a different topping. One lunch lady said to Jarrett, Before this day, I felt like I was at the end of the planet at this school. I didn't think anyone noticed us. Another said, You know, what I learned from this is that what I do is really important. What Jarrett learned from this is the importance of saying thank you. A thank you can change a life, he says. It changes the life of the person who receives it, and it changes the life. Of the person who gives it. Jesus calls us to reach beyond our usual circles, not just for the sake of others, but for our sake as well. For it is not just receiving grace that transforms us. True transformation happens when we extend grace with no expectation of getting anything in return. Our tables aren't just the places where we gather with the people we love and give thanks to God, which we often call saying grace. Tables are where we get to practice receiving God's grace and then giving it away. God has invited us to be a part of this incredible banquet, a metaphor for God's own house, God's realm, God's table, the place where all God's children come together. And Jesus calls us more to do more than just show up and say thank you to God for the invitation. Jesus calls us to live our gratitude to God by reaching out to those who cannot return the favor and share the good news that they're invited to this table as well, that they are not only welcome here at this table, but that this meal, this community, is not complete until they are seated here too. Maybe, as Jesus suggests, the people we need to reach out to are the poor, the crippled, the ignored, the overlooked, But in our time, we might understand that to be anyone pushed to the margins. The person of color who was profiled and wrongly imprisoned. The transgender person terrified of how government policies will affect their life. The person of a different religion who is looked upon with suspicion, prejudice, or even murderous rage. The immigrant who's lived among us for decades, working hard and paying taxes, but who now lives in fear of being deported. The people who hold political views so different from our own that it becomes all too easy to see them as less than. It might even mean offering grace and forgiveness to someone in our lives who doesn't deserve it and who wouldn't do the same for us. According to Jesus, there is always more room at God's table, and no one, not one person, is to be left out of this feast. Inviting other people to join us at God's table means we must be willing to transform that pyramid of power and privilege into a table where everything is served family style passed around from one person to the next in an ongoing dance of receiving and then giving, of accepting God's gracious gifts, and then paying them forward. God's invitation to us is always open. We are always invited to experience God's love and grace, to sit at God's table with all God's children, But God doesn't just want us to accept this invitation and say thank you. God longs for us to extend it to others, especially to those children of God who desperately need to know that they too are worthy, they too are loved, they too, just like us, have a reserved seat at God's table. The greatest thanks... We can give is to pass God's grace on. Amen. And now, mindful of the unearned.